0: The following resource is brought to you by Real Life Community Church in Richmond, Kentucky. We hope you're both challenged and encouraged by this message from Pastor Chris May. Genesis chapter 1. Everybody awake this morning? All right. Kind of rainy outside. We've got some people that couldn't make it this morning. Uh, farms are flooded and roads are flooded and all. It came down quickly, didn't it? September is an extremely popular month for weddings. Just had the honor of uh, performing uh, Hunter and Jessica Deal's wedding. You guys stand up so we can congratulate you one more time. No, come come here real quick. No, just, Jessica, I know you're going to love this. Um, turn around. They're still in the corny face here. <laughs> Look at their shirts. Isn't that the cutest thing ever? Um, guys, we love you so much and so proud of you. Um, At the end of this month, I have the privilege of performing another wedding right here. Um, Loretta Peterson and Alex Tanner, two of our newer members. I don't see them here today. They're not going to raise their hand because they know I'm going to call them up. But but, yeah, I I, I love weddings. And, And one of the things I've been thinking about this September is that marriage is under attack in our culture. How many know that? It is not valued in the same way that it once was. Even many Christian couples, I'm afraid, I'm talking Christians, do not have a biblical view of marriage and don't really understand its sacredness. Dr. Tim and Kathy Keller co-wrote a book, uh, it's an incredible read, called The Meaning of Marriage. Highly recommend it. And in this, he gives some alarming statistics pulled from a few different reliable sources. I want to share them with you. The divorce rate in the United States is nearly twice the rate it was in 1960. In 1970, 89% of all births in the U.S. were to married parents, but currently only 60% are. In 1960, almost 72% of American adults were married, but only 50% in 2008. Today, cohabitation, living together without being married, is on the rise. More than half the people in our country lived together before getting married. In 1960, this was virtually unheard of. When you consider divorce rates, cohabitation, and the massive decline in married adults in America, I don't think it takes a rocket scientist to f- see that there is a decline in the view, in the value of, marriage. There's a lot of confusion in our culture. There are actually two extreme views about marriage with our, which are both wrong um, if we have a biblical view of marriage. There is a very low view of marriage, and then there's actually a, a too high of a view of a marriage. So uh, in the low view, um, this would be something like this. You've heard somebody say, well, it's just a piece of paper. It doesn't really matter. All you need is love. Love right? And married people know that's not true, (laughs) right? It's not just a piece of paper. It's more than that, according to the Bible. Um, They think, you know, as long as you love each other, marriage really doesn't matter. And we see people today really quick to get divorced. I'm not talking about for uh, continual infidelity. I'm not talking about for domestic abuse. I'm talking about, hey, man, I don't feel the butterflies anymore. I'm jetting. That's too too low of a view of marriage. On the other end, there's way too high of a view of marriage for some people. Author Ernest Becker believed that modern culture had produced a desire for what he called apocalyptic romance. Have you ever heard of that? Because culture, think of this, because culture has taught us to push God further and further away, he says that there are, people are actually looking to a spouse to give them what only God can give them. When, when we push God away out of our schools and out of our courts and out of our country and out of our homes, there is a gaping hole left. It's a, Augustine would call it, call it a God-shaped hole in every one of us. And when God does not fill that hole, when you don't go to Him for that, who do you look to to satisfy your heart? Often you look to a a man or a woman, someone to fill that void in your life. And here's what Becker wrote. He says, quote, after all, what is it when we we, we want, when we elevate the love partner to the position of God? We want redemption in nothing less, end quote. Think through this. So God is pushed out. And even in individual lives, people aren't where they need to be with the Lord. And then they need that hole in their life filled, that hole in their heart. And so they say, hey, husband, wife, I need you to complete me. Have you ever heard that? I need you to satisfy my heart. And marriages are being crushed under the weight of unrealistic and unbiblical expectation. So we've got... Too low of a view of marriage, too high of a view of marriage. Suffice to say, there's a lot of misunderstanding about the design, the purpose, and the sacredness of marriage. By the way, don't tune me out if you're single. All right? Awkward laugh, right? Uh, when you have a biblical view of marriage, you realize that romantic love is not everything. It, it's not what makes you. That means that if you're single or if you're married... You can be a whole and complete person if you have a relationship with Jesus Christ. See, if, if you look to the world and say, well, it's, completeness comes with romantic love, if you don't have that, then you're not complete. But when you look at the Bible and you see completeness comes from Jesus, right now, married or not, you can be a complete person and have your heart satisfied. So I want to go to the book of Genesis. And just for a moment, in honor of the reading of the Word of God, would you stand with me? I actually had planned to preach from Ephesians 5 today, um, Paul's great treatment of uh, just the the subject of marriage. And when I got to the part where he pushes us back, he quotes Genesis, I believe it's 224, that point became an entire sermon, so here we are. Um, And and we're going to deal with Ephesians 5 next week. So Genesis chapter 1, I'm going to begin in verse 26. The word of the Lord says this, Then God said, let us make man in our, own, in our image after our likeness. And you see the Trinitarian language there, right? In our language, in our, like, or in our image, in our likeness. And let them have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the heavens and over the livestock and all the earth and every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. And God blessed them and God said to them, be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth and subdue it and have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the heavens and over every living thing that moves on the earth. And God said, behold, I have given you every plant yielding seed that is on the face of all the earth. Every tree with seed and its fruit, you shall have them for food. Now go with me to chapter 2 and verse 18. Then the Lord God said, It is not good that the man should be alone. I will make a helper fit for him. And now out of the ground the Lord God had formed every beast of the field and every bird of the heavens and brought them to the man to see what he would call them. And whatever the man called every living creature, that was its name. The man gave names to all the livestock and to the birds of the heavens and every beast of the field. But for Adam there was found no helper fit for him. So the Lord God caused a deep sleep to fall upon the man. And while he slept, he took one of his ribs and closed it up in its place with flesh. And the rib that the Lord God had taken from the man, he made into a woman and brought her to the man. And the man said, this is at last, this at last is bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh. She shall be called woman because she was taken out of man. Therefore, a man shall leave his father and mother and hold fast to his wife, and they shall become one flesh. And the man and his wife were both naked and were not ashamed. This is the word of the Lord, and you may be seated. I was going to title my sermon, uh, Naked and Not Ashamed, but I didn't know if you'd appreciate that or not. <laughs> Today, from this text, I want to look at the model of marriage, the model Of marriage. And next week, God willing, we're going to unpack Ephesians 5 and we'll look at the ministry and the mission of marriage. The model of marriage, in other words, what is marriage and what are the implications that we see from this creation account? Number one, if you're taking notes, and I hope you are, is this marriage is God ordained. Chapter 2, verse 24. Therefore, a man shall leave his father and mother and hold fast to his wife, and they shall become one flesh. And the man and his wife. Some people say Adam and Eve weren't married. There it is, folks. Mark it down. They were married. The man and his wife were both naked and were not ashamed. Marriage is God ordained. And I want us to start here because it is pivotal to understand that God is the author of marriage. His word lays out clear, objective guidelines regarding this holy institution, which means, folks, it's not up for discussion. God is the author of marriage, and we don't have the right to change its guidelines. We don't have the right to change the ins and outs of marriage, if you will. So we we don't have a right, if you will, to, to tamper with the design of marriage. Let me say it like that. Marriage came, listen, before the fall. This was not plan B. In God's original plan for creation, he saw it was not good that man was alone, and he made a helper for him before man sinned. Marriage is a blessing, and if you're sitting next to your spouse, you better say a hearty amen. Marriage is a blessing, but how many know it is extremely difficult as well? Don't raise your hand. Okay, I saw a couple of you. Uh, Beat me to the punch. Listen, marriage is difficult. Why? Because we are human beings. The same reason the church is difficult, because you're here and I'm here. We are imperfect people. So don't think that somebody else, like, oh, if I could just get a new husband or a new wife, that that's going to solve your marriage, solve your problems and give you happiness. Why? Because you're going to be in that marriage too. And that person is also imperfect. So we're imperfect, so marriage is difficult, but it's a blessing. Proverbs 18, he who finds a wife finds what, men? A good thing, come on, somebody, and obtains favor from the Lord. I, yeah, ladies, come on, you ought to tell your husband. You better remember that verse. <laughs> marriage is God-ordained. Number two, marriage is between one man and one woman. I never thought I would have to clarify this in the ministry, but I have to today. There's confusion, confusion even in the church. I've been shocked at some of the posts I've seen from people who used to be at this church or maybe even are um, in, in their stance on this. Marriage is between one man and one woman. 2.18, Genesis 2.18, the Lord God said, It's not good that the man should be alone. I will make him a helper fit for him. And who did he make? He made woman. He made Eve, right? You go down to 23, the man said, this is bone of my bones, flesh of my flesh. She shall be called woman because she was taken out of man. And therefore a man shall leave his father and mother and hold fast to who? His wife. And they, those two, shall become one flesh. And the man and his wife were both naked and were not ashamed. Friends, the Bible makes no room for marriage between two people of the same sex. That may seem really harsh if you've been influenced by our culture today. You may say, Pastor, you're so close-minded. You're, you're just, you're, you know, you're so conservative. You're over the top. You're a bigot. You're an elitist. Whatever you want to say. And I would just say, actually, I'm just biblical. And call me what you want. But I'm, I'm saying this as gently as I possible can, possibly can. Listen, I am not homophobic. I do not hate um, or, or even dislike gay people. I've got friends who live that lifestyle who are not saved. And listen, I care about them. I want them to know Jesus. I've invited them to church. But sin is sin. Sin is sin. Marriage is sacred and we don't have the right to change it. Marriage is sacred and we don't have the right to change it. There's a love wins movement going around that's fighting for gay marriage, right? But I would argue that if you believe, if the Bible is true, that that's actually not a loving thing to argue for. Because I'll tell you what's loving. The truth is loving. The truth is loving. Now, friends, we are to speak the truth in love. So the way to to get this truth across is not to pick it. It's not to hold your fist up and call people every name in the book. What is it? It's to love them like Jesus loved them. Yeah, be truthful with them. But what's the old saying? People don't care how much you know till they know how much you care. And with the people that I know that live this lifestyle, I get to have these kind of conversations because they know I care about them. So you got to take a stand on this. And the stand is this. Do I believe the Bible or do I believe culture? God created us. He knows what's best for us. And there's confusion because of our fallen nature. But marriage is between one man, one woman. Marriage is also to be monogamous. After the fall, for whatever reason, God seems to have have allowed polygamy. And and we don't really have a clear answer as to why. But this was not God's original intent for marriage. And it's not... Uh, God's design for today. I'll tell you that. Verse 220, or chapter 2, verse 24. A man shall leave his father and mother and hold fast to his wife. Singular. Okay? And they sh- shall become one flesh. Now, you may say, "There, well, it doesn't say two shall become one flesh. Well, Paul, in the book of Ephesians, chapter 5, he, he lives in a day now where uh, some people believe and, and, and live this uh, lifestyle of polygamy multiple wives, and he says this, he clarifies, and he says, it says that two shall become one flesh. Not three, not four, not five, not a hundred, but somebody say, God help them. Uh, Two shall become one flesh. And in the New Testament, here's what I believe. We see through Christ Um, And and his work on the cross, that God's original design for marriage is being redeemed. As a matter of fact, one of the qualifications for a pastor, an elder, uh, or or a deacon is to be a one-woman man. To be the husband of one wife. Which shows, hey, there is a standard according to the Lord. All right? One woman, one man. All right? Number three. Marriage is a lifelong covenant. It is not a contract. It is a lifelong covenant. Go back to 2.24. Therefore, a man shall leave his father and mother. And and I'd love you to underline this market somehow and hold fast to his wife. You pick up on on that language, hold fast to your wife. Hold fast to your husband. Matthew 19.6, Jesus talking about a husband and wife says, So they are no longer two, and there it is again, two, but one flesh. What therefore, watch this, God has joined together, let no man separate. What God has joined together, let not man separate. Friends, when you make a marriage covenant, when you say your vows to your spouse, it is not just between the two of you. It is between the two of you and it is before the Lord. God is the one who seals your marriage so the vows in marriage, this is interesting, are not just to stay together. You know, when I was reading Hunter and, and Jessica's vows, I didn't say, now, just, uh, just stay together. That's going to be horrible, but just stay together. You know, you're going to be miserable, but just grit and bear it. You know, no, what are the vows? Some form of this. I'm going to love you. I'm going to cherish you all the days of my life. How many are living that out? Okay? Because some people go, hey, I'm, hey, we're still together. Well, that's only part of you. I'm glad you're still together, but that's not the extent of your vows. Do you cherish your bride, men? Ladies, do you cherish your husband? Where's my wife at? I need an amen. (laughs) Listen, this is scary. When you are walking into a marriage, how in the world? God says this is a lifelong covenant until death do you part. heard one preacher say, he says, we don't even talk about Divorce. We talk about murder sometimes, but never divorce. How do you, with someone, you know, when when you're 19, 20, 30, 40, I don't care how old you are, how do you make a commitment to somebody for the rest of your life? How can you be guaranteed that you're going to love that person for an entire life? How can you stand before the Lord and say, God, I promise to love, to cherish, to have, to hold this lady, this man for all my life. That's a massive promise, isn't it? It's a scary promise. The Bible calls you and me to radically love that person we're married to for a lifetime. I'll tell you how this is possible. It's because of the covenant. That's why the piece of paper matters. It's what the Lord uses to sustain marriage, it's so vital. I brought this up in in, at Hunter and Jessica's wedding. So many people think the secret to a long marriage is finding your what? Soulmate. This is hallmark movie theology. All right, listen, I'm gonna be really honest here. I I, we know that, that pornography is a horrible problem and it distorts what pure and real sexuality is. It gives these unrealistic expectations, it'll ruin a marriage. I believe the Hallmark Channel might do that as well because it gives you, listen, ladies, that man on that movie, on that Christmas movie that is just the perfect, he does not exist. In real life, he is a jerk, okay? I'm telling you. He does not exist. Dina's pointing at Ben saying, yes, he does. Everybody say, aw. All right, so that is not good theology. Here's the problem with soulmate, all right? If you find your soulmate, how many believe when you got married, you found your soulmate? All right. At least you're on, Yeah. At least you're honest. Right. I found my soulmate. Let me tell you the problem with that. What we mean by that is somebody we just when we just think the same, we just kindred spirits. Right. Like we just have so much in common. And, 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 and then, listen, I've done marriage counseling for the last 20 years. That, I've heard that over and over. And five years later, I've had people in my office time after time saying this. I have no idea who I'm married to. He's crazy. She's crazy. Let me tell you why. Because we tend to change. And so you, somebody who is your soulmate today, your kindred spirit, may not be so much in three years from now. Can I get an Amen. I heard one, 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 one theologian, I can't remember who said this, say, he said, My wife has actually been married to five different husbands and they've all been me. <laughs> Listen, Nikki and I got married at 19 years old. I'm 40 years old now. Do you think I'm a little different at 40 than I was at 19? At 19, let me give you a big one. I had no idea, no idea I was going to be a ministry. I was living for myself. I didn't, man, I, I, I couldn't imagine preaching couldn't imagine and being a pastor's wife is not always fun it's very very difficult and so three years four years in our marriage guess what honey guess what we're going into ministry isn't this great let me give you another one when we got married I didn't listen I was I was a stick like I had no matter what I ate I was a Chris Morris I it didn't matter I didn't gain weight all right I love picking on him when he's not here uh I, I just I couldn't put on weight and so, hey, let's eat fast food. I had energy. Let's, let's eat fast food. Let's, you know, let's eat, get buckets of fried chicken at a time. Let's have pizza every night. It doesn't matter. About 30, I felt like I was going to die because that will catch up with you, friends. And so all of a sudden, I decide I need to get healthy. And through nu- nutrition and rigorous exercise, I'm 40 years old. I feel better than I've ever felt in my life. This has caused problems in my, in my life. Because now, all of a sudden, I want my kids to stay away from everything that tastes good. Right? My, my wife is like, let them be kids. Let them be Twizzlers for breakfast. Who cares? She's not that bad. But, but you know what? We have, we, we've changed in this. So, your, being your soulmate, that is not the foundation on, that can sustain a marriage. No, it's the covenant. A, a 20th century pastor and theologian by the name of Dietrich Bonhoeffer wrote to a young married couple, and he said this, quote, it's not your love that sustains the marriage. But from now on, it's the marriage that sustains your love. Another way is to say it is like this. It's the covenant that sustains the love. The promise to love one another, listen, it's not a romantic feeling type of love. Those feelings will come and go. That's natural. So if you don't feel the butterflies for your spouse today, that's, I want you to know that's a natural thing. It's a natural thing. So, so what sustains that? Well, the love that the Bible calls us to is a love in action. It means I'll be loving even when I don't feel loving. And the acting loving causes feelings of loving, not the other way around. Some people wait for them to, uh, you know, for feelings of love to come before they act loving. No, opposite. You want to be loving, you want to feel loving towards your spouse? Act loving today. Can I get an amen? Amen. But what do you do when you don't feel those affectionate feelings or whatever it might be? I'll tell you what you do. You remember the covenant. And I love what John Piper said. He said, This is the soil, this covenant is the soil in which feelings grow. Good feelings grow. Romantic feelings grow. You remember the covenant. Your feelings will fluctuate. Angry sometimes, it's quiet right? Anger will come and go. Romance come and go. Sadness will come and go. But covenantal love is steadfast. That's what kind of love we're called to. And God, if you'll remember your covenant, no matter what's happened in your marriage, if you'll remember your covenant, God will bless your marriage by his grace. Amen. Number four, I'm going to move quickly. Both male and female are created in the image of God. We're going to talk next week in Ephesians 5 about submission. And that's been really abused, so it's, it's pivotal you understand this. Both male and female are created in the image of God. Genesis 127, God created man in His own image. In the image of God, He created him. Male and female, He created them. You know what this tells me? That both men and women were created with 100% equality. Both were created in the image of God. They're both valued the same to God. Genesis 128, watch this. God blessed them, and God said to them, Be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth and subdue it and have dominion, so on and so forth. God created both male and female. He blessed both male and female. He spoke and gave commands to both male and female, and he gave dominion over the earth to both male and female. Male and female were both created by God, and they have equal value in his sight. Amen. That's, that's the foundation for understanding what Paul writes about in Ephesians five. Number five, gender. Don't miss this. This is an important cultural thing as well. Never thought I'd have to preach this either, but I do. Gender is not incidental. Gender is not incidental. Before the fall, God saw it as a good thing to create gender, both male and female. And I love what Kathy Keller writes in this book, The Meaning of Marriage. She says this, that Genesis 127 means, hear this, that our maleness and our femaleness is not incidental to our humanness, but constitutes its very essence. God does not make us into generic humanity that is later differentiated. Rather, from the start, we are male or female. And if you don't know how to figure that out, uh, Pastor Ben will be holding a class out, <laughs> outside. He'll tell you. Uh, we, we can get this settled today. She continues, This means I cannot understand. This is why I don't go off my notes too often. This means I cannot understand myself if I try to ignore the way God has designed me. Or if I despise the gifts He may have given me to help me fulfill my calling. Listen, if the postmodern view, she says, if the postmodern view that gender is wholly a social construct were true, then we could follow whatever path seemed good to us. But if our gender is at the heart of our nature, however, we risk losing a key part of ourselves if we abandon our distinctive male and female roles. I mentioned earlier that God ordained the institution of marriage and we have no right to alter it in any way. And in the same way, Friends, God created us, male or female, and we have no right to alter it. And it's not a loving thing to tell little children, just decide who you want to be and be it in that sense. Okay? It doesn't mean that if you're male that you have to love U.K. football. It doesn't mean if you're female that you have to stay in the kitchen and bake pies all day. That's not what I'm talking about. Okay? Those are things that we've put on certain gender. What I'm saying is this, femaleness or maleness is at the core of who God made us to be. And when children are growing up and now we're telling them at five years old, oh, because you like this or that, maybe you're not really a man. Or maybe you're not really a boy. Maybe you're not really a girl. Man, that messes with them. And God God doesn't make mistakes. He created them with purpose. And I'll tell you why there's confusion. It's because... We live in a sinful world again. There's confusion. That breeds confusion. And so our job is to tell them the truth. No, you are a a boy or you are a girl. And we're going to help you biblically to help you understand that and help you be who God has created you to be, not who you just think you want to be, because that's a road of misery. We think this, you know, our our culture thinks this is the road to happiness. Just let people do whatever. Whatever. And so as we've pushed God out, hey, we're going to be a happier society. Have you watched the news? Have you looked at Facebook? Have you gone to Walmart? People are mad. People are angry. They're not, it's not getting better. It's getting worse. We want to help people. We need to point them back to the Bible. Gender is not incidental. Final one, the, gen, the two genders are meant to complement each other. Two genders are meant to complement each other. When God saw Adam alone, He said, it's not good, and He made him a helper. And that helper was not identical to him. That helper was a female. One of the commands that God gives to Adam and to Eve is to be fruitful and to multiply. Fill the earth. Be fruitful and multiply. Adam could not do that alone, could he? And incidentally... Eve could not either. You see how God has made us where we need each other? Let me tell you this. People talk to me all the time about the great things going on in this church, and and I I get a lot of credit that's really undue. What they don't know is if my wife were not here, I don't even know if, if I could have put myself together and made it here this morning. This morning, while I was at the halfway house preaching, my wife was here doing things, making, things are, making sure things are in order so that I can come up here and preach and know that everything. I, I know for a fact these kids are taken care of in the nursery and downstairs. Not because of me. And I would say that if it, I don't care how good of a sermon I preached, if those things didn't happen that my wife does and so many of you other women in the church, I don't think it'd matter, would it? It wouldn't matter how good of preaching. We wouldn't have a church. You know, I, I look at some of you ladies in the church, and I look at the value you add. I mean, to greeting, to, to worshiping, to just everything you do in the church, it's, it's so helpful. And, and I look just like Christy getting up this morning and remembering 5,000 announcements. Like, I can have a piece of paper in front of me and still forget. Right? That happens to me, right? And it's just amazing. And so, guys, listen, and, and ladies, you have unique gifts given to you by the Lord. Gender is not a bad thing. We're made to complement one another, and we need to embrace that. So, in closing, let me just say this: um, We need to help redeem the true and biblical purpose of marriage in our world. Butch, would you mind to come? I'm just going to close like this today. Um, just to, just a call to prayer. I. Uh, I don't even want singing this morning. If uh, let's just let's just have some piano here. Um, we're not going to carry on long, Terry long here. But I just I just feel impressed by the Lord. Just to have a call to prayer. Maybe you're here today, married or single, and you have a little a really low view of marriage. Maybe there's somebody here you're cohabiting, uh, you're with, with somebody else, and you're you're living together, not married. You think oh, it doesn't matter. And, and I don't know of anybody. So I'm, if I have an issue with you, I'll come to you personally. So if this is convicting to you, this is the Holy Spirit. It's not Pastor Chris. If you're living with somebody and you think what's well, just a piece of paper, it's no big deal. Today that you're you realize that it actually is a big deal. And there's a there's a real um, misunderstanding, misperception of what living together before marriage does. Our culture thinks they say there's no way I can know if our marriage is going to work. Um, if I don't live together first, if we don't live together first. In other words, they, they think that it raises your chances of surviving, your marriage surviving and thriving. And actually, statistics, not Christian statistics, real hard fact statistics show that couples who live together before marriage actually have a greater chance of splitting up. So don't believe everything you hear our culture saying, go back to the Bible and say, God, what's your design? Maybe you're here and you're married and you have a really low view of marriage. I hope not. Maybe even right now, you came in thinking, man, I'd jet if I could today. Maybe there's somebody in here you're thinking about packing your bags after church or tomorrow. I hope not. But if that's the case, could I just encourage you? Remember the covenant. Remember the covenant. Listen, seven years Into my marriage, all the way up to probably 10 years. Here's what I felt there is no way I'll ever be happy in my marriage ever. I cannot tell you how miserable I was. I cannot tell you how miserable Nikki was. I would almost say there was almost hatred, there was bitterness because I didn't have a tender heart. And when I went to the Lord and I said, Lord, this common phrase today, I hate it. I, I know you want me to be happy. No, he wants you to be holy. And in holiness, you'll be happy. He, I know he just wants me to be happy. I really shock people when I do premarital counseling and they're wanting to leave. And I say, oh, no, he actually, he doesn't care about that. He wants you to stay with your spouse. Unless, by the way, disclaimer, if you're being beaten or if you're, there's continual infidelity, that would be an exception. But I'm not talking about those extremes. I'm talking about this, hey, I'm just not happy anymore. And I never thought that we would get to a point of happiness. And I was this close to leaving. If I had, I'd be working in an office somewhere right now, not in ministry. I'd be watching somebody else raise my two boys. And I would have missed out on one of the greatest blessings of my life. Because I, today, because of covenantal love, the Lord has been faithful. When I remember the covenant, when I was ready to walk, I just thought back to the covenant. I said, no, Lord, I made it. And I realized that I can't, I was a worship leader. If, if I, can, I can't get up here and worship with my voice and treat my wife like I've been treating her, my marriage is not about me and Nikki as much as it is about me and the Lord. And So Lord, I'm gonna serve you. This is my change of mind, my change of thinking. I'm gonna serve you by remembering my covenant. And as I begin to do actions of love and pray for my wife, and I say, man, I begin to fall in love with her all over again. And do we have a perfect marriage? Yes, no, we don't. Um, No, we don't have a perfect marriage because I'm still there. But it is glorious. I, I mean it. Man, I love it. I love coming home. I used to dread it. I'd stay out all hours of the night just to not have to come home. I can't stand to be away from her for three days. If she goes away, like when we lived in Colorado, she'd come to visit. I'd still have to work. Man, I would, I mean, I would count down to the hour to, you know, I I couldn't wait to see her get off that airplane and just love her so much. And I just tell you, say, listen, God can turn your marriage around to where, no, your commitment, I don't want you just to stay and grit and bear it. I want you to stay and love it. And through God, all things are possible if Jesus is at the center of your marriage. Some of you, on the other hand, have a too high view of marriage. And your spouse has been put under the expectation of being your savior because you're not close to the Lord, because you're not in your Bible and you're not praying. You're expecting your spouse to satisfy your heart and he or she cannot do it. You're asking something that's impossible for them to give. So I would just encourage you. Kind of take that burden off on of today. day. Say, hey, anymore, I'm not looking to you for redemption. I'm looking to Jesus for that. I just want to I want to do life with you. I want to grow with you. It's a beautiful thing. And if you're single here today, and you had a really high view of marriage, and you think that, hey, listen, I've got to find somebody, or I can't possibly be complete. I hope today you understand it's not the essence of being. It's not the essence of Christianity. Marriage is not. Romantic love is not. And just be satisfied in Jesus Christ. Be content. There's great gain, right? When we are uh, what godliness with contentment there is great gain. Be content, Amen. If you don't know Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, to that I'd, I'd love to I'd love to uh, just pray with you. Here's what I'm going to do: I'm going to invite you to stand. I'm going to I'm going to ask for married people, single people, whoever you are. I'm going to invite you to this altar. Husbands, be the spiritual leader. Grab your wife's hand if you're married. Bring her down to this altar and, and pray. Just because you come to the altar does not mean that your marriage is falling apart, all right? We all need prayer, because I know some of you are going to be like, they're going to know something's up, right? No. If you're single, come down and say, Lord, just help me to be content with where I'm at right now. And if your desire of your heart's to be married, just say, God, I'm going to take some pressure off. I'm not looking for a soulmate. I'm looking for somebody who loves you, and somebody who will get in a covenant, lifelong relationship with me, where we agree about some things, have some things in common. I'm not looking for that perfect person anymore because he or she doesn't exist. Let's just pray today. And let's pray, if none of that matters to you, would you just join me in praying for our country and our culture and say, oh Lord, may we get back to the sacredness of marriage. It's a beautiful thing. God knows best. Let's pray. Father, we love you so much and are grateful for this gift of marriage. And, um, We want to serve you well. We want to to bless you, Father. We, we We want to glorify you in the way that we treat our spouse. Lord, help us today. We can all grow in this area. Help us to forgive. Help hearts to be tender. There's hardness of heart today. I'll just soften it by the power of your spirit. Thank you so much for it. For single people today, let them not feel second class. Because Lord Paul said actually it's a high calling to be single and content. And Lord, if there's that person who's single and has marriage on their heart, as long as they're not looking for that for ultimate to that for ultimate satisfaction, would you lead them to that person we ask, Father? We pray for our country that we would again get the right vision for marriage. We would understand it's a lifelong commitment between one man and one woman. We thank you for these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for listening. If you'd like to know more about how you can have a relationship with Jesus Christ, or if you have questions about our church, you can email us at info at myrealchurch.org.